the best people I have hired, they haven't known, but I have put them to play before I hire them. It's never about how you play, it's how you your attitude towards the sport. Two out of the six direct reports were inherited. Two were personal contacts that I knew them from before. And the, the other two guys that I brought in, they had to play a, a soccer scrimmage game and I wanted to see them. Actually, one of them, I, I found him playing soccer. I, when I said, wow, if he, if, if he acts in life as he plays, I'm fine. The way you play in a regular, serious game, it's the way you act in life. Welcome to The Football Studio, a show where I speak with influential people I look up to in the football industry. I'm Sebastian Alvarado. My goal with these conversations is to get to know the person behind the title. I want to understand how they think, how they got to where they are, and get their personal perspectives and insights on all things life, career, and football. In this episode, I speak with Juan Carlos Rodriguez, president of sports at Univision, the leading Hispanic media company in the US and one of the top five sports networks overall. He's regarded as one of the most powerful and influential sports executives in the industry. We talk about his journey, being shaped by growing up in Mexico City, how childhood insecurities led to his creativity and unique leadership style, and how football informs his approach for business, including hiring decisions. He's one of the rare breed of sports media executives and a disruptive force in a typically traditional industry. Here's my conversation with Juan Carlos Rodriguez. Juan Carlos, welcome to the football studio. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to have you here. Um, you're based out of Miami. Yes, sir. Um, well, f first, how do you typically introduce yourself to people who don't know at all who you are? So how do you introduce yourself and what it is that you at do? A, at a business meeting, I would say Juan Carlos or JC, the guy who tries to run sports. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, at a personal level, I'm very, very low-key. I, I have switched from being a social animal in Mexico to come to the U.S. and find that I love being nobody. So it's perfect. I love my Friday nights in shorts and T-shirts and sandals. I love being in Miami and I love being nobody. And then when we have to come and, and stand up and do the right thing, then I, so, so I like that bipolarity. <laughs> I hope that's not personality-wise. Uh, a bit. We always have to have a bit of it. Yeah. Is that important for you, though, to be in the high-pressure position that you are, to have that kind of a balance that you can kind of plug in and plug out of that? I have to. I have to for, for even for personal purposes, for health purposes, because we have a lot of up and downs, whether there are negotiations or events itself or or company things. We There's a lot of up and downs. And... The beauty is I think I'm a super team-oriented operator and, and and I love having fun. So part of the stress is distracted with a lot of fun. How does this stress express itself in your position? Eating. I used to smoke a lot, now I eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you get stressed, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah. It, there is it. an automatic trigger that starts with, I don't smoke anymore, it's been two years, so it's all about eating. What are your cheat meals? Anything. <laughs> I'm a trash processor when I'm very anxious. Well, you do have some good options, both in Miami and, and, and in New York. So Yeah, and I work more. The other thing is I, I tend to stay at the office longer. I don't like bringing, bringing my stress home. I'm not a, 
an easy animal to deal with. So I'd rather stay home and try to finish things. So in talking about that, uh, take me through a typical day. So from, from the moment you wake up, what kinds of routines do you have? And then from there on. First one, I think it starts with a lovely good morning to my wife, then immediately to my, to my phone. But it starts with a good morning, then it goes to, to, to the phone to see if there is any emergency. I have two older kids that live in Mexico. So that's an interesting, I think I've never said this before, but I have it very clear that I leave my phone open because I have two kids living abroad. And I'm always not expecting a call. No. So so that's one thing. Then I review emails to review if there, if there is any urgent. Then I ha I think I have developed a skill to write on the ceilings in my imagination. So I'm very good at, at, at trying to lay up the, the day or any creative ideas. I put them on the ceiling. Then after 20 minutes of nonsense, I walk out. I walk out to try. The best I could do is take out the dogs, leave them outside. I don't like walking with the dogs. And then I take for a, a one hour or so long walk, which helps me decompress the day. Then, then get back, shower, shave, shower, get ready and, and have breakfast with my wife. I love her the way she cooks Mexican eggs and then go to the office. Starts with a good morning to Esmeralda, my assistant, which is the real boss. And, and we'll take it from there. Do you have any workout routines? No, I'm very lazy for workout. I love playing soccer. I still play soccer. I, I, uh, I'm terrible. So, so the therapy is walking. The physical therapy is walking. Beyond reading emails, what kind of reading do you typically do? I'm not very good at uh, at reading. So, so, I'd say I read 15 books a year that are all business related, in terms of management or or stories regarding management. I, I'm not into, I'm, I'm a pretty complex creative guy. So, so I try to do management that keeps me under control. Otherwise my, my head is all the time spinning into new things. Maybe related to reading management books, but what do you do to keep evolving yourself? The way I do it is each October we sit down with the group and we define what the company should look like in a year. And we create normally 10 things that we have to accomplish. And it's very simple. We know that if we accomplish those 10 things, we are going to end up being in good shape. So few few years ago, I learned that if you're in London and you miss by two degrees any direction, instead of ending in, in Canada, you may end up in Patagonia, two degrees. So I decided that I wanted to narrow any any small mistakes. So what I do is I try to square things. And I put things in buckets and try to put them in, in, a, in a way in which we can socialize it, in which people will understand it. As I told you, I have a very complex head, hard to understand. So I need to be very patient to explain things and then let empower people and let and put them to do. So I, I always try to do 10 things that we want to accomplish this year. And once that's done, it's, it's very simple. Where does that complexity and that creativity sort of in your mind, where does that come from? 
Ah, interesting. I presume childhood insecurities, that might be the case. I, I was a very good soccer player and I wanted to play soccer, but then I realized that I had no skills. I had more heart than skills. So I had to become way creative to bring the 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 outcome of, of not doing that. So I became very creative. And then and then business-wise, I was very young and, and my dad who gave us many good lessons uh, when the first lesson is when we turned 13, when I turned 13, he started sending me to work. So he used to drive me down to the public transportation while he was going to his business. He used to own the Adidas, the Adidas manufacturing in Mexico. So he would leave us in the corner of the house, then we'll take public transportation. Uh, and, and that put a lot of wings in my life, going into public transportation and, and dreaming about things. Then I was lucky enough to be sent to study one year to the U.S. That also was a an interesting personal challenge. I was very young. I was 11 years old, and I was sent to study for one year to the state of Maine. So a Mexican in the state of Maine was an interesting event. So I think that my parents saw some good wings to me, and, and I'm just in the in the business of moving them. So in talking about your um, your upbringing, let's take a step back. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Mexico City. Except for that one year, I always lived in Mexico City uh, in, a, in a very nice family, in, in a very good ambience, in a, in a school that it was an all-boys school, Catholic school. We played a lot of soccer and, and we misbehaved a lot. It, it was pretty simple. Um, how would you describe that? neighborhood and where you grew up and how did it influence you? It was a cluster and we lived in the streets. So so we literally lived in the streets. We we I would say incredible amount of freedom. The, Mexico in those years were not was not danger whatsoever. So a lot of freedom in a big city, in a growing city, in a beautiful city, with a lot of friends. I was I would say pretty popular among the guys. And so it was fun, a lot of fun. You mentioned your father taught you a lot of lessons. Yep. If you were to pick one that you've carried throughout your life and that you still have with you, what would that be? Uh, I would say the, the trying to be consistent between what you say and what you do, which I believe is the, his highest virtue and, and the most complicated virtue of all. You know, being congruent. How do you do it? I challenge myself a lot. So, so, so I think it's discipline. I think it's opportunities. And the other thing that I've learned when I came to the States, I was a, let's call it a small size accomplished entrepreneur in Mexico. And when I came to the States, I, it was a very humbling exercise of you have to do the right thing because here there is no margin for error in many ways, from compliance, from the way you treat people. You know? And I came from from being, this is the first job I have in my life. All other ventures, I have been either the owner or the son of the owner. So so this is the first time I have a real boss. And, and what else? Punctuality, for example. Punctuality in Mexico, it's an interesting, it's an interesting definition, while here punctuality is 1030, 10.30, not 31, 32, 33. So, so it's very interesting. Yeah. So you have to become disciplined. 
And the other thing that challenged here are all these legal boundaries. So you have to do it right and you have to do it. In, 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 there's only one way to do it, which is the right way. Otherwise, you won't make it here. So tell me about that, because you started obviously working at a very young age. You started working way before college. Yep. Uh, tell me about the first job. So I quit, it. I quit university to go and work as a messenger at the World Cup Organizing Committee. This is 1984. And I met very good friends there and very good bosses. So, so they helped me and I ended up working as the head of lodging for news for news people in that point. So I realized that even being very young, I was able to try to figure out things about logistics. I have brothers and, and dad who are civil engineers with, with specialities in, in, in procedures. In, in, in Spanish it's tiempos y movimientos. I don't know the word in, in English. I think procedures and, and processes. So processes. So, so I think that I'm very good at connecting dots. And, and maybe it's inherited or maybe it's family practical. I come from a family that, that is entrepreneurial. So, so Saturdays and Sundays, we, we had breakfast with, with the boss. So that also helped. So I realized that I could do a good job. I worked for Televisa and the World Cup Organizing Committee. Then I went back to school from 86 to 91. In the, me in the meantime, I also started working at Adidas with my dad, and I worked for him until 1997 or 98, in which I came back to my real passion, which was sports-soccer-content-selling things. So we created the first sports media, sports radio network. We started with a show, then two shows, three shows, then a network, and then we ended up with a Superstation, creating content for 150 radio stations in Mexico. Then in 2001, or the beginning of 2002, we met with the patrons of, of DirecTV, who owned the rights for that World Cup, the Japan and Korea World Cup. We acquired the rights for, for radio, the radio rights for Mexico. And exactly when I was leaving the office, he said, by the way, do you know any serious TV producer? to help us with the World Cup because we're not doing it with Televisa or TV Azteca, which are the two main networks in Mexico. I turned around and said, you're looking at him. So I think it's the biggest lie I have ever made in my life, which changed completely my life. He stared at me and said, what? Yeah, what do you need? I said, we have an incredible group of talented on-air talents, so we can do a lot of content. Well, we need to produce the World Cup for Mexico. We have 40 exclusive games. Okay. So I told, we had a longer conversation. Then I went back. I called Epigmenio Ibarra, a very famous producer who is a family, a friend of a family, asked for his help and said, please help me here because I just got, I just bought a big trouble. And we ended up producing the World Cup for Canal 40, an independent network in Mexico. We produced also a show for, about the Mexican national team out of, Fukui in Japan, and, and it was incredibly successful. That completely changed my life. In the meantime, by the way, we met, I had a partner, Francisco Javier Gonzalez, and we partnered with another gentleman who was really the, the head of the production, Benjamin Estavillo, 
And we started working together. We came back from Japan and Korea. We huddled up and, and we decided that we wanted to do more television. So with Benjamin, we got a contract with Gold TV. And we started producing, I think, three years of Gold TV content. Then we realized that the guys who were renting the, the hardware were making the real money. We were not making the money. So then we decided to set up hardware. And we went to Sky in Mexico and we saw... Sorry, when you say hardware, what do you mean by that? The cameras, studios, editing. At that point, one full studio would cost $10 million. This is 2003. Then we kept dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. And then we decided in 2006 that we wanted to launch a TV network with all the, the content that we produce in radio and in internet that we wanted to produce... TV on a, on a linear network. So we made a deal with Sky in which we introduced ourselves with a tape, with a literally a tape, and we told them we can produce seven hours of original content a day. It would cost you this amount. We were helped. They said yes. So in 2000, the end of 2006, we started building facilities. And, and at the end of that year, after the World Cup, we premiered a network that in 2010 was sold to Televisa. We sold our company to Televisa and, uh, and we were hired to stay for two or three years. And in the meantime, they invited me to come and, and interview with Randy Falco, our head here. And he liked me and he offered me a job and I moved to the States. <laughs> That's a quite a story. But to to go back to that, the conversation that that changed your your path and and your journey uh, when you told your biggest lie of mm -hmm. that I can do this. Who was that conversation with? Antonio. He was the head of the head of Directv in for Latin America. I'll give you the last name. I'll I'll, I'll look for the last name. Antonio, Brazilian guy, who, which I am very very incredibly grateful and and luckily. Now in this job, he showed up once at my office and said, do you remember that you changed my life? He said, I mean, no, what are you talking about? Yeah, you changed my life, Antonio. I remember the name. I really, I'm very grateful to that man who trusted us. Where do you get the, the guts from to, in that moment, to say, I can do this, when you knew that you have no idea how to do it? Whatsoever. That's an interesting question. I think it's a safe net of my family I, I that I would be backed up by 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 them if I screw up so I think that made me cynical at that point incredibly responsible and and for yeah I would say that and and God's irresponsibility for sure and most important the dream I'm, I'm a big dreamer I, I try to be a big dreamer I I I hate putting limits to my dreams and in terms of... So what I, what I think I'm very good at is trying to put groups in which I can take the ball, kick it forward and say, guys, now we run and get the ball and then we get it and then we kick it again. I, I think that's a very simple play uh, way of, of setting up my the way I, I orchestrate this. I try to gain the trust of the team that I work with and then I kick the ball far. I come and ask permission or forgiveness here. And the other thing that has happened when we get to the Univision piece is I have had incredible backup from my boss for 
whatever reason, he trusted me. And when I told him that I'm very good at what I do, but I needed a, a different way of reporting and being bounded and protected by him. So he said, you go, you go. If you screw, you have one, you have, you have only two strikes. So keep them, keep safe with you, with your strikes. He has been an incredible support. I see when, well, I see because I'm, I'm sitting right across from you. When you use the soccer reference, your eyes lit up mm. and your whole body language yeah. almost changes. Do you use a lot of references to the game in your work life? Well, the best people I have hired, they haven't known, but I have put them to play before I hire them. I, I, it's never about how you play. It's how you, your attitude towards the sport. Two out of the six direct reports were inherited. Two were personal contacts that I knew them from before. And the, the other two guys that I brought in, they had to play a, a scrimmage, a soccer scrimmage game. And I wanted to see them. Actually, one of them, I, I found him playing soccer. I, when I said, wow, if he, if, if he acts in life as he plays, I'm fine. I'll, I'll join this guy. So you actually put him yeah. to a game? Yeah, absolutely. What are the qualities you look for? Heart, spirit, and team team support. The way you play in a regular, serious game, it's the way you act in life. I'm a golfer now. And golf, it's a very good mirror of how you act in life. The guy who cheats in golf, cheats in life. The guy who does the right thing. It's very interesting. I, I'm sure there is a correlation between the way you play and the way you and the way you act in your life. On that note, so if you look at soccer, what kind of soccer is it that you, you enjoy to watch? Is there a correlation between how you approach that and how you actually watch real games? No, no, real games. I'm getting older, so it's different now. Ten years ago, it was very simple. It was all about the Mexican national team and America, which are like in my blood. International, I would say Real Madrid. I, I grew up hearing about Hugo Sanchez stories, so that tattooed the Real Madrid name. And then I have chosen things, in teams in, in different countries. So here we are today at Univision, the leading Hispanic network. Tell me about the company, what's the structure, and then how does your role and, and your division fall in under that? Let me think how I'm going to answer that, because... The most humble exercise that I've learned is how relevant Univision is for the community. It's incredible. The connection it has nothing to do with ratings. It has nothing to do. It's literally people who just cross the border and, and call Univision to ask for a doctor, a church, a pharmacy, because they don't know what to do. It's like the most, the closest they have to home. It's a, I think it's a safe place for them. So that's number one. Number two is... It's congruent with the demographics of the of the country in regards of Hispanics. So most of what we do is 70% Mexican, and I'm Mexican, and I'm proud of that. Part of the new findings is that several years ago, I've been doing business in the U.S. prior to this several, several years, and, and one of the things that you learned is that 15 years ago, Hispanic, Mexican, Colombians, it was the same thing. They It, it didn't matter, number one, and number two, It was the same whether you were born in Tijuana or in Patagonia. You you guys speak Spanish and you're different somehow and, and have a curious and fun accent and very, very noisy and musical. 
So we were squared into that into that bucket. I'm incredibly proud of of our roots, and I'm incredibly defender of of being treated correctly. So Univision really re responds to that. Our boss and the board have always been in pro of the Hispanic community and, and they care. So that's number one. Number two is we're at an incredible challenging times in terms of media consumption. And, and those incredible challenging media consumption habits are changing, which an environment for me that is changing, then it becomes way challenging. Then I be, it's, it's super fun. And in terms of soccer, when in, ter in terms of sport, when I came, they told me that the previous person that was in my position, they, he wanted to create the CN, the CNN of sports. And one of the few things that I've learned during my life is that you have to, you have a vision, and then you have to have the 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 resources to make it happen. Otherwise, your vision is not going anywhere. So when I heard that we wanted to be the CNN of sports in Spanish, I said, okay, so let me see the billions of dollars that we're going to spend into generating content. And it didn't match. So we have to rechange the vision of the company to the budgets that we have. So we decided to move from that vision to the ultimate home of soccer in America. Soccer is and has been the most fragmented sport in the U.S., number one. Number two, the other thing that I learned as soon as I came to the States is that Liga MX is the most watched soccer in the U.S., whether they like it or not. And and that's super, 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 super interesting. And I'm influential or somehow influential or connected in that world. So I thought there was a huge opportunity. The third piece is that when five or six years ago, Univision was in a clear transformation from moving of the home of Don Francisco, uh, which was a very specific, and you know how big of an asset he 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 was for Univision, and and when I got here, I said I would like to connect with his grandson, not with him, because if we're going to grow, so when you add soccer, you add Frankie Jr., who is which is Don Francisco's grandson, and then. The third piece would be global practices. One of the things that I can put to this country's industry is, I would say, the international appeal, understanding that soccer is way more relevant in Spain, England, France, Italy, blah, 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 Mexico, South America, than in the U.S. So, so there was a lot of practices, both on air and, and, back, and, and back in the production, that could be brought into this. So the NFL here is here. This, the the country leads the way. Baseball, the country leads the way. In soccer, we we don't. So we saw those four pillars, which is younger soccer, technology, and and the globalization of the sports with the Liga MX. So for us, it was like a clear vision of where we wanted to to go. You mentioned that Liga MX is the the most watched league here. I mean, by far, even compared to the to the Premier League or yeah. La Liga or MLS or any other league. And you said whether they like it or not. What do you mean by that? Yeah, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, Manchester. That that's super sexy. No, it's we all want to be related to Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, but not until they start they start playing at four or five or six o'clock in the morning. They're going to be relevant to this market in terms of big numbers. Every time I asked about soccer in the first six months I got here, the, everyone would give me an example of how 
Manchester was doing such a smart things and Real Madrid and Barcelona. I said, they don't get it. They don't get it and they don't like it. But it's whether they like it or not, America, Chivas, Cruz Azul or Pumas are going to be leading the pack. So that helped me go underwater to do a lot of things. That's a very interesting perspective, I have to say, and very clear because we see all these big teams, the big leagues, the United States being in tremendously important markets. Some of them are opening up offices here. They come here for the preseason tour and so on. But to put it that simply that if they don't play at that time, at prime time, done, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Keep, keep working. That's very interesting. Yeah. So we own the trick. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that I find fascinating and that you've been part of and the channel has been part of and you've been part of in, in your previous roles as well is in acquiring rights. So in acquiring rights to the World Cup. Before we go into that, let me tell you the other, the other piece that made all the sense in the world. It was clear in 2012 that the U.S. had to host a, a World Cup in the next 20 years. It was also clear that that uh, the Qatar and Russia decisions were, let's say, against against the market. It didn't make any business sense to do them. So I knew deep in my heart that we needed to become a a a force, a driving force for the sport, for the growth of the sport, because the DNA of the viewers it's. And and this is, I know from my previous life in Mexico when I used to come to to the games and you're gonna have fun with this one, the Mexicans versus the U.S. in Columbus. The Mexicans were really serious about you know, we're in a big fight, and the Americans were very polite. So there would be a father and two kids, uh, and there would be three drunk Mexicans swearing at them, and the, so so for the Americans it was a pastime. For us, it's life. So I knew that we had to ha have a place on the table. So when we came, we were lucky enough to have a conversation with the MLS, specifically with, with Don Garber and, and more specifically with Gary Stevenson, in which we committed to each other as a company and said, if you give us a real place in the table, at the table of the adults, we're going to be able to deliver. And they trusted and they, they did. So we created that partnership in which they gave us a place and we have tried to embrace the growth of the sport. So we all act in, in, within the company as agents of growth for soccer, for the project that will eventually, we will get to, to come to the US. And, and after that, the other thing that the MLS and some have done very good is they have very good structures. Even though the sport is not there yet, or we all think the sport is not there yet, even though they put 55,000 people regularly in Atlanta stadiums. So even though it's not there yet, everything is going to be put in place so that in, by 2026, by the end of the World Cup, the sport is going to be the number two sport in the U.S. On that note, because even in, in talking with the MLS, you know, they have a, not a huge following, but they have a, a pretty, fairly strong core following. Soccer in the country has a huge following. Hispanics driving a lot of that. From a content perspective and what you guys do here, how do you increase that audience? So what we did is we divided it into three buckets to make it very simple, is the content creation, the owner talent, and the technology to, to present it. 
from a technology perspective, we have a lot of mechanisms in which we are also always invited to the parties in which they present the, the most updated and innovative technologies. On the on-air piece, we, a good example would be if you create the all-star team of commentators and analysts from the NFL out of each of the four networks that broadcast NFL, we have them all in the world of Spanish. I don't think we miss, we might be missing one or two to have the best roster in the world or in the industry, at least for our audience. And on the content creations, we are continually challenging the status quo. The team headed by Edgar Martinez, by Eric, by Oleg, by, by Marco, it's a bunch of young guys who, who love the sport and also love love winning. So, so Juan Ignacio, Miguel Angel, they, they are all very, very good at what they do and they're always challenging. So one of the beauties of what we have accomplished is empower them to, to make them understand, to make them understand that they are very, very good at what they do. How do you do that? Push, push, push the limits, push the limits, push the limits, push the limits, push the limits. And when we get the results, then they end up becoming very, very proud. The best thing I can do is empower young guys. How do you go about acquiring rights? How does that process work? It's it's very simple. We we it's incredibly simple. We first define what strategically makes sense for the audience, what's the best of the best that we can do. Then then we pre-select what that should look like. Once we have pre-selected that, we come to an arithmetical process, which is we engage with, with the sellers, we get a we get a, a an idea of what the number will look like, we put it in a napkin, and then we bring it to the geniuses here. We have a, a very serious group of researchers and analysts and, and experts in analyzing the value of things. So what they do is they do two things. They analyze how much revenue they can generate by the number of viewers that they can have. So they quantify that. Then, then they request sales to approve that number. Then they also create a, a the cost of what this will uh, move from. So if you're putting a game at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays, you already sold something. So we call that the underlying value. So it's how much you can bring, how much money you are moving from, from the actual position. And if the number comes $1 higher on, on after the under, underlying value, we bring it, if it's a big chunk of money, I bring it to my boss, explain the rationale from a programmatic, from a programming, from a sales, and a, from a holistic approach. And we make sense that it makes sense to the company and we then then we go and buy. What's your prediction towards the future? What are the trends you see coming and how do you position yourself for that? I think that he who owns the rights for things is going to succeed. What team you're a fan of? It's been since I was a kid, not just because they've been winning, but it has been Barcelona since my dad Always followed Maradona. Okay, so I'm sure that if you're a good fan, you will try to look for it at Bean. Then you will go to any illegal pirate place to, to see it. Or you would even fly to see a game that you want. So that's how desperate we get for that. 
So, so regardless of the devices, which is a distribution play, he who owns the rights is going to succeed. So we want to be involved in, in rights for many years. I think we're very good at that. Number two is the future. I think that eventually direct to consumers, where, what we're going to see is the leaks coming directly to the, to the viewers without the broadcasters in the middle. So, so the ten, that creates a tension. So the more we can, the more as broadcasters, the more we can guarantee having rights, the more we're going to have the same status quo of the way it's, co- it's consumed. So to give you an example, if we get the rights for the Liga MX for the next 25 years, regardless of what you do, you're going to see it through a Univision outlet that could be through Facebook or could be through Amazon or could be through, through linear television. So that's number one. Number two, I think bigger events are going to be on live television. I think we're going to be seeing more sports on linear networks. I think very much about that. I think that soccer is going to keep growing, regardless of expectations of many people. I think it's the only sport that is going to grow. Hopefully, we're, we end up finding what the second sport would be on a, on a much bigger scale. They say that Boxing is the sport for the number two sport for Hispanics, but we can't prove it. I see the MLS growing, growing, growing. I would love to see a more joint approach between Liga MX and MLS. I think it makes sense for both entities, and we're going to try to be influential on that. I see a lot of creating bridges between countries through soccer. I don't know exactly what that means, but I, th- I think that in the case of Mexico and the U.S., if we had the ability to cross-communicate people that is related in within the box of sports, of soccer, would, would that's an opportunity. I see a lot of marketing integration into the sport in different ways. Soccer does not make injury breaks or heat breaks. or So we're going to see new ways in the near future. And I think it's going to keep on growing. What's the one thing that you worry about the most in the future? Nothing. Professionally, nothing. No, I care. What worries me is my family, my, my family. We're getting towards the end. I'm just going to shoot a set of uh, rapid fire questions. Yep. And that should be it. Feel free to elaborate if you need to, but these should be... Uh, or pass. These, or pass, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's the deal that you're most proud of that you've been involved in? Creating the network, the sports network. What's the most important characteristic to be successful in your position? Dream. What kind of a recommendation would you give someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Uh, challenge the status quo. Who is a soccer business person you look up to that you think people should follow? Wow. I have many. Gary Stevenson from the MLS. Who is a business person that inspires you? All of what has happened with Berkshire Hathaway, everything that this guy has done is incredible. Who is the most well-known soccer contact in your phone? 
I'll tell you the second one. Uh, publicly would be any president of the leagues that we do business with. What's the book that has impacted you the most that you recommend to others? La Barca Sin Pescador de Alejandro Casona. Give me a movie recommendation. The Shape of Water, it's incredible. You get to have dinner with three people, past or present. Let's assume language is not a barrier. Yep. Who are the three? Jesus, for sure Jesus, for sure my grandfather, and maybe Pelé. And so you're taking them to dinner. Where would you take them? I'll ask my mom to do picadillo. <laughs> Last two. Uh, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Yeah. Don't get a no for an answer. What I would say, don't accept a no for an answer because of the status quo of things. It's challenge the status quo. Set up a goal and challenge it. Who do you think I should interview on this podcast that you can put me in touch with? Victor Montagliani, the president of CONCACAF. You'll find an incredible character. Fantastic. Juan Carlos, thank you so much. Thank you. You're very good at what you do. Thank you. Greatly appreciate your time. Best of luck. I look forward to seeing what's, uh, what's in the future for you and the network. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, write a review, tell your friends, post it on social, all that good stuff that's really going to help in getting awareness around this show. I will be back next week with a new episode. Thanks again. Thank you.